They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. As always, I am your host, Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa. And before I get into my very special guest in what is kind of a continuation of my Salem Horror Fest 2020 coverage, except it's covering a film that happened way back in the early stages of Salem Horror Fest going into its virtual-only pandemic-type state. You heard me do a review of this one. I'll say what it is when I get to the end of my intro, but uh, stick around because this is going to be great. i like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin C.V., Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, collaborating online, Alex Shaw, Seth Comfort, Seth Decker, Andrew Krauss, Little Nicky, Robert V. Aldrich, Aaron Moriarty, Carolyn Thompson, Scott R. Curie, and Shior Hansen Gusted. And to my newest patrons, Ralph Lund, Luke Donnelly, Tom Painter, Cassandra Raguchi, Carolyn Thompson, Brian Beshia, Patrick R. Young, Scott R. Curie, and Chris Charles. I cannot do this without all of you guys. I started saying the names of the $15 or more at the beginning when I thought the most I'd ever get was five. And now there's 20 of you. And that's not counting all the other patrons as well. It's really important. This is fun. This is a hobby. Um, but having it work as a little bit more of a secondary income for my family has been great, particularly during this pandemic. This show, as a lot of them, is brought to you by Skeeter Plays. My buddy Steve, one of my very best friends, has a Let's Play channel on YouTube. Get over there and check it out. I'll be guesting on there soon as well. And with that, I have some of the cast and crew of my very first review you heard officially under the, the Chippa Made This um, brand back in March of this year or March or April, I think it was right before April because the film premiered virtually on April 1st. This is some of the cast and crew of Mass Hysteria. Guys, you know, pick your order, but introduce yourselves to the folks. Hey, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the directors of Mass Hysteria, and I also play the role of Turner. Hi, this is Matt. I am one of the producers of Mass Hysteria, and I play the role of Samuel Hale. And I'm Chris O'Connell, and I am a writer for Mass Hysteria. That's awesome. Guys, welcome, and thank you so much. Um, it, it really is. It, these these interviews with cast and crew of stuff, it, it's just so much fun, and um, I'm so happy after all this time we were finally able to make this work because I just loved your movie. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Um, you, you were saying, um, but before I did my intro there, and just to get it repeated here, you know, I, I mentioned the, the Salem Horror Fest is kind of what brought all of us together today. And uh, you guys had an associate producing credit from Kay Lynch um, from Salem Horror Fest. Is that right? He kind of helped you guys get um, get uh, out there. It was kind of right. Talk to me a bit more about that. Give yourselves a chance to thank them. Uh, as yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, Kay, we met with Kay before we even started shooting the movie just for to meet. We were meeting with a bunch of local uh, representatives of Salem and we got introduced to Kay and yeah, I mean, they just gave us so much insight into the town of Salem and also just had a million ideas literally over like a three hour lunch at Gulu Gulu cafe. And yeah. before we, yeah, shout out to Gulu. It's, it's the best. Um, yeah. And it was just an incredible collaboration. And then when we finished the movie, we just started talking to Kay and it kind of just morphed into working together and, just ideas 
you know, Kay had helped us get the movie distributed, helped us finish the movie and just, uh, you know, I think everyone who has seen Salem Horror Fest sees how hard Kay works and sees how brilliant they are with just the amount of work they put into everything. So we, you know, it just kind of worked out. And I think Kay really was a fan of the film even before we started shooting. So it just was really incredible for us. That's awesome. I, I, one of the things that strikes me the most about this movie, and, and I want to, I want to say this and talk about this and then move back to like how the movie came about, but something striking that I, that as a local, you know, you, you, um, you watch movies from around the country that are supposed to take place in a certain place. And, um, you get a view of that place, you know, that might not necessarily be real. It's through, you know, like the filter of Hollywood and, you know, a film like Hocus Pocus, I always look back to, which is, again, it's from my childhood. I love it. Everybody loves Hocus Pocus. Salem <laughs> loves Hocus Pocus. But it's not really representative of Salem on Halloween. Right. The, right. It, 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 it's, you know, they, they filmed it in a few local places, but there's nothing as a local that feels very Salem about that movie. It feels like somebody's Hollywood vision of what Salem should feel like. In fact, the only stuff in it that really feels very authentic is the olden time stuff, which was filmed you know in plymouth plantation and pioneer village and it's what it looked like back then but um salem today i think a lot of productions like big hollywood productions look at it and go well it, you know outside of like you know the cobblestone street right over here in these older buildings it kind of looks a little bit too modern because most of it burnt down and so right. um i give you know your movie the highest level of credit which even stuff that isn't filmed directly in Salem is like a town over and in towns that used to be Salem, like the Marini farm stuff and things like that. So it's like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, and, and that, you know, that's only me that's going to notice that. And I, I loved standing up and going, ha, Hubie Halloween, you did it too, but freaking mass hysteria did it first. Um, <laughs> By like two weeks. <laughs> By like two weeks. Exactly. And again, it was, it was fun to be a local while they were filming that movie too. But again, the majority of it isn't filmed in Salem. The opening shot of your movie, that amazing pan down Essex Street with all the shops getting ready and everything, that's Salem. You know what I mean? And and you yeah. nailed it. This this movie feels so authentic, like seeing, you know, the the streets and the alleyways and the stuff that people are using to get down and get away and get to show them like this. You know, you're not sticking, you know, like a New York City bus in the middle of downtown Salem like they did on Hocus Pocus, you know, that they can get on at like 11 o'clock at night to go somewhere. That's not Salem, <laughs> you know? And yeah. uh, I just w I wanted to talk, was that, was that always the intention to make sure it was very authentically Salem? I think that was a big part of sort of uh, what we wanted to do with the movie in terms of people, you know, they go to Salem expecting a certain thing when you, you know, during Halloween, you go to Salem and you want, you want spooky and you want, uh, you know, you think that there's like witches behind every corner and people are like stirring cauldrons on the street. Um, and, <laughs> you, and that is actually not, Salem is like a very vibrant, modern uh, city with a lot of history that doesn't involve witches actually. Um, right. And that sort of juxtaposition between when tourists, you know, hundreds, of, literally hundreds of thousands of tourists come to Salem every October and they want or expect, you know, spooky, spooky. Uh, but in reality, there's like cobblestone streets and a Dunkin Donuts. You know, it's not yep. 
it's not um you know like a, a witch village uh and there's a lot of humor in that sort of when people they they get there and they're ready for you know uh, a citywide seance but it's nope it's a city and I, and I agree and i think the, the movie depicts that very well if it's more of a it's a city with a halloween um i won't call it a problem but a, a halloween um love and and you know it's not the place is it's not a disney attraction right is what it comes down to it's you know this isn't you know like um halloween world you know in the in the middle of a city there's way more to it than that and i love that um your movie centers around you know the the your films version of the um cry freedom you know thing or you know it, where, where it's uh it's it's really or is that what it's called cry, cry, innocent. cry freedom cry innocent sorry close enough uh, yeah yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm mixing it up with the freedom trail ladies and gentlemen uh no but um you know it, it's i i love that and i loved that it, it, am i right that at least you're you're making it look like but is that sequence filmed inside the like the the hall downtown is that where that is Sadly, no. Because uh, it definitely feels like it's supposed to be, and I love that juxtaposition of that. But it's just the you. idea of the the idea of even that is a little more, you know, it feels authentic. But you added a little more to you know you don't just walk into Salem and get off a bus and get thrown into Cry Innocent. But at right. the same time, that's something that a history searching tourist person or a crazy you know Halloween fan is. Oh, we want to see the freaking witch trial. And it's not really the, you know, I, I, uh, um, what is it called? Um, Lords of Salem, which is a movie I actually really love, but it annoys me that Rob Zombie being a local didn't depict the witch trial stuff correctly. He went, ah, the stuff they did in Europe was cooler. And it's hmm. like, you know, so it's, so it's like, you know, iron maidens and burning and stuff. And it's like, that's not what they did in Salem. So it's like your movie feels less authentic because you did that. <laughs> like, ah, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> You, you know what I mean? I, I just, I, I, I like, uh, I like that it more shows, like you said, what people are actually going to get when they come here. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, the, uh, <laughs> well, Cry Innocent is a, is a great show and, uh, it is. It's we, so we, we don't, we obviously we don't name it in the movie as Cry Innocent because it is not Cry Innocent. Go to Cry Innocent and you get a great show. That's very accurate and fun. Whereas ours, our show in the movie is a, is a little bit, uh, you know, <laughs> underwhelming. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah. But I think that's what makes it, you I mean, that that's for plot, right? The girl wants to get it. This is like, this is tired theater company doing tired theater company thing that isn't, is annoying to them. But yeah. um, wouldn't it be great some year if the middle and cry innocent, if someone in the crowd didn't just, you know, be uh, staged, um, spitting out blood and being possessed I, I i and again you know other things like the the preacher there's always a bunch of nut bars on essex street in downtown i love the role of the preacher you know being like that's what's going to cause you that that's all it's going to take yeah that girl's a witch <laughs> that's really all it needs <laughs> they're one step away every year anyway well i think <laughs> it goes back to a, you know sort of what people are when you go to Salem in October or the week before Halloween or even on Halloween night where our movie takes place, like that's like your dream come true to see a witch. Yep. And you need one suggestion 
that that might be the case. And then you are off and running, like going, you know, going to find what you came for. Um, and so the movie kind of plays on that, uh, that sort of like one small suggestion. Uh, and this is what people are in it for. And like, they, they go for it. And then all it needs is a teeter into someone might actually have died. And then that fun fear turns into, um, raving lunatic torch carrying, um, <laughs> crowd. And, and, and I, and I, and I love, I love those parallels and, you know, I know, you were you were making the movie before COVID was a thing, but, but the movie came out, you know, during COVID being a thing. So there's there's fun parallels to that in there too, which I which I thought was you know it's circumstantial, but it's there, you know. Totally. Um, I actually, you know, I've been trying to tell people that it was shot during COVID, which kind of makes up for the lack of extras we had to fill the streets. Of <laughs> See, I, I like that though. It gives it gives it a more personable and see, I didn't even look at it as there being less people because the real like meat of the story takes place later on at night, which this is something people forget about Salem as well. The police and locals don't want people there. So around 1030 at night, they just kind of go, you're either inside or you're out of this damn city. And then Salem's just on lockdown at that point. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And this year, more than, I mean, this year driving, you know, I live in Massachusetts and driving uh, up the highways and literally seeing the big signs on the on the highway. Salem is closed. Go home. Yeah. Do not go to Salem. This There is nothing there for you. Like, they were actually almost kind of comical in the way that they were really dissuading, trying to dissuade and, people from going. And and again, you know, and, and to speak on that for a minute, as a local, you know, I feel terrible for the businesses that all of this affects but at the uh, same really. but at but at the same time you know they came out and said you know the city isn't closed we're just having to follow orders and be safe and it's like you know if, if that's what you're going to do great because for the people that did show up now it's safer for them you know it's not it's not about just locking it down completely at that point it because no one's going to not show up it's mm -hmm. getting all the people right. that are you know not showing up necessarily for the right reasons you know, um, and I, I love that the local restaurants were still able to, you know, um, adapt and find ways to make money and do more takeout and offer fun deals. But it's just, oh, this whole thing has just been chaos. So it brings it back to your movie. Seeing this back in March was such a cool, like, you know, and, and then I didn't know that we weren't going to have Salem for Halloween, you know, on a, but, but now it's like this movie's even in this and like, you know, Hubie Halloween and things you, you get to have these things. You go, it's giving me, it's giving me a little bit of what I missed. People can now visit Salem without coming here if they can't make it through your movie. And I think that's really damn cool. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so b before, you know, going into the, the meat of the film itself, um, what brought us to this? Like, where'd the idea come from? And, and did you guys did you guys know each other before you were making this movie together? You know, also like, yeah, I mean, we definitely uh, we definitely all knew each other for a long time. A lot of us are super close friends and have been close friends for years. I probably like seven or eight years at this point. Uh, awesome. We all made another feature film two years earlier called Youth Men that couldn't be further yep. different, like more different than Mass Hysteria, but. We all did that together, and that was kind of our learning lesson of you know, making a 90-minute movie, which turns out to be like 60 minutes in this case. But <laughs> uh, 
yeah, we all we all just had a blast doing it together and learned so much while doing it. And then we tried to up the ante with this movie and kind of bite off more than we could chew. But the idea, I think initially it actually like in the real early stages was like, should we make another mockumentary? And we were like, should we do like cry innocent mockumentary during Halo, uh, during Salem Halloween? And then it kind of just transformed into us. Uh, Chris, myself and Ariel went on a like retreat where we basically just like for three days threw every idea out there and kind of landed on this sort of horror action movie that has transformed dramatically since then. But it definitely took the shape of what the movie is now versus what it was prior to us getting together. Oh, that's really cool. Um, and how did, uh, how did the, like the rest of the crew and the cast come together? Were these, were these people you guys know did, did, was there casting calls, auditions, like, um, How'd that work out? Yeah, we did. Um, so a, a sort of a group of us um, from the course start um, sort of. OK, we're going to OK, we're going to do this. Uh, we've done something on a much smaller scale before. Uh, how do we how do we how do we do this? <laughs> um, and so for I, I would say a while, but it actually it was not a long time in terms of making a movie. Um, for for months, we were just meet and start meeting with every single person uh, that was associated with Salem, that worked in Salem, that liked horror, that liked film, that could potentially be a good resource in the future. Uh, that was how we met Kay during that process. Um, and we sort of gathered our team together and our team sort of grew and, and again using resources and people that we've built relationships with from our first film um and then the cast uh as i'm sure you noticed chris is big it's you know there's about 50 speaking roles yeah um yeah. and so you know it was we were gonna it, it was happening and it had to happen really quick and so we held traditional auditions and uh we met so many actors from around the area um and came in and kind of that helped round out the cast and fill in the holes um and then we just went for it that's awesome i mean like for, for example you know your your main i mean jeff you're you're awesome in this movie and Thank um, you. that's no and it's 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 one of those roles where it's like you know you start the movie like you said earlier on is more straight horror, straight horror action. And that's a hard enough type of tone to get, but your character had, you know, that um, it, it kind of felt like it had an air of the, the boyfriend and scream, you know, about <laughs> it where it's like, you know, you, you know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, this guy, cause, cause every character in this, that isn't um, Gina Santiago's character page is a red herring. Every single one of them has a bit of a red herring to them. You know, the movie wants you to think that Trist, that Trist is the witch. Like, if the, the movie wants to go, there's a real witch, that's her. You know what I mean? And then you go, okay, you you, you think back and you go, okay, well, the, the stamp melted, so maybe she's not a witch, but maybe she's actually intending to harm people. And, you know, you got, and it, it's this really cool, like, intermixing. And then you get this guy that the movie has to spend some time convincing you isn't the bad guy even though every movie always has them being, you know what I mean? And so that's a really, that's a really hard line to walk. And I think it gets even harder when your movie airs into horror comedy, 
because you can go too far in one direction and then right. it's no longer a mystery. It's just light. And of course, this is how it's going to go. And, and, and you, you guys do a, a fantastic job of walking that line. Cause there's this humor and this pratfalls, but then there's, there's real like danger and fear. And like, you feel, um, in Gina's performance, you know, her need to get out of there. She's not a caricature. There's caricatures in this movie for sure. Um, I love, um, and again, it's been a while. So, but the the head of the uh, um, war reenactment folk, um, who has oh, a very yeah. Salem name. What's what's the character's name? Uh, Giles. Giles. There you. Of course, the the guy who was crushed to death, as it were. But um, <laughs> you know, you, you you've got Giles there, and like I I had touted how much of a cool attention to detail that is, because I think when people are thinking Halloween in Salem, they think just witches. Or they think, you know, just parties and haunted houses. And you forget, no, this area is also the revolution. You know what I mean? And to not have that time period, you know, war reenactor guys around. Because they're around. People would go, oh, you're making that up. It's like, no, there's there's people that do that around here. And, uh, yeah. I, and, and then I also love that thing that, you know, while the movie doesn't say it, where they are in that sequence is Pioneer Village. I imagine that's where it was filmed or supposed to be is that correct and good eye and and people forget and i I said this in the review the people that wouldn't know the area but it's an attention to detail that i love pioneer village is not accessible from the cobblestone streets of downtown salem so them having to charter a bus to escape during their that wonderful um mad max fury road light as i call it sequence you guys had there complete with the guitarist on the back of the hillbilly mobile which which i thought was fantastic um i loved it um that's a really great local attention to detail no you would literally need a bus to go from that area because i know some people would go so why does salem have an area that looks like old timey well not only is it are we that weird but it's also not close like you have to like go and 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 i just thought that was really cool and that whole sequence in them you know kind of being eccentric and caricatures of you know local people that get way too into history um was still really cool that i love that sequence thank you thank you we we uh we actually uh, i remember it was a big deal to us on that writing weekend jeff but uh chippa we we had drawn a map of uh salem and uh, we were, because I, I, I'm always like a stickler for continuity. And uh-huh. like, well, there's no way they could get here unless they do this. And mm-hmm. Jeff and Ariel, who are more uh, practical filmmakers, are like, uh, Chris, we can't show them riding a bus every time they want to go to a new location just because you need that continuity error to not be there. So we would walk them through Salem, going to different locations. And it was like, it was too much detail, but uh, that's like the way that uh, we thought we were, you know, we wanted to be pretty authentic to the journey of Salem. No, and it, it really did feel that way. And that's, you know, and again, does does a movie have to be perfect like that for me to like it? No, but as a local and knowing, like I, when, when I know a movie was made by people more in line with like, you know, me and what a set would be like if I was on it. I, I can picture myself behind the camera, you know, and going, what is, what does the set look like around? What is, what does the crew look like behind here? And yeah. so 
and, and that's just how I work. That's how I look at movies. It makes me weird. People look at me funny. Like, but it doesn't take away from the movie, but I like the excitement of thinking, okay, what were they thinking with how they angled this shot? Like, um, what is it? Uh, um, uh, me and Chester by the sea, as I like to call it. No, Ma- Manchester by the sea, which is a movie I actually really like, but it opens with the guy, um, uh, Casey Affleck trying to get to, um, uh, Manchester and he like he takes a um, a thing from Boston and then drives up the coast of Lynn and Swampskit to get and I'm just sitting there going this no this doesn't work this way like you don't get there that way like and then like the hospital that Manchester doesn't have is Beverly Hospital and where he parks to drop someone off there is not a parking spot it's just the middle of a road and then it's, yeah and, and Beverly, like he, he's in one shot on a street that's way inland, and then the camera cuts to another angle, and he's on the ocean. And I'm like, this is not how this works, guys. And no one would notice that, but th- that that's the kind of stuff that I do. Um, that you know, talking about continuity and stuff, the the sequence in the hotel, which I I guess is it. I'm assuming is a made up thing. Like, is that a build? Did you take like an existing building in Salem and add like that cool neon hotel sign? With you know, or like that, because I'm like, because when they say we're gonna go to the hotel, I'm like, cool, they're gonna do something in the Hawthorne Hotel, and then they cut to it, and I'm like, oh, so we just went into like a this is like straight up like fantasy horror movie now. Okay, what's going on here? Like, how, oh, Chris, how, how did that work out? We wanted the Hawthorne Hotel so badly, I can um, imagine, <laughs> and because obviously it's such a beautiful, you know, such a beautiful location and, and authentic. Um, and we worked, we tried to work that magic, um, but that magic just did not work for securing that particular location. Um, and I totally get it. You know, that hotel is beautiful. It's historic. And we would be moving in, um, not to give any, you know, anything away about the film, but we'd be, you know, shooting some maybe messy stuff, uh, in their beautiful (laughs) historic lobby. Um, which they're a fully functioning, you know, hotel. Um, and so the hotel, when we go in, is actually um, like a, you know, Holiday Inn uh, down in, in Saugus. On Rouen, right? Um, on Rouen. Oh, no way! <laughs> and so, um, and, you know, it's so funny. We still had that. We got the room um, for the stuff that's in the room. Um, uh-huh. And we still, it was, you know, the 11th hour and we still did not have a location for the lobby mm-hmm. and because we had been there shooting in the room um they said well you know what we have this uh conference room that is empty right now and because we were shooting overnight and they said you can use it to shoot for your lobby and it was just a big like where someone would have like a, a corporate function um, yeah, yeah, yeah and so we kind of you know, the way that it was shot, uh, which was, uh, you know, our brilliant cinematographers, they made it look like they were in a lobby of a hotel. They definitely did. And, that, yep. you know, that that that's a fun, and, you know, one other thing that I thought was cool was the mention of, okay, then how do we get out of here? And it's through, like, the underground tunnels, which, again, is somebody that someone today would go, well, that's kind of BS, but I remember being a teenager and talks about going through the underground tunnels to break into the prison, which is now, um, you know, condos and uh, bit bar. And, right. and I, and I, so I'm like, no, that's probably like, 
I, it's those things of like, if I had been writing this script, I'm you know putting my brain in the, what's something that at least someone local won't go, well, that can't happen in Salem. And none of that smelled that way to me, you know? And, and, and I like that. Well, that's awesome. Good. Cause I'm, I was certainly not a writer, but it, it is sort of like has a Goonies sort of feel. Yeah. Yeah. To it, you know, no, which is that's, like that's I don't absolutely know, right. As the kid of the '80s, that's how you would want your life to be. As a you know, like the Goonies, you want mm-hmm. tunnels and pirate ships and all of that stuff. <laughs> now, ba- now ba- ba- back to the tone. Uh, Kay Lynch described this movie to me when I talked to him as "Wet Hot American Summer meets Night of the Creeps," um, <laughs> which which I find amazing. But also, you know, that's that's a that's a lot of a lot of things um, in that one statement. When when you guys finally put pen to paper and started writing this, was that was the tone already kind of set, or did it kind of emerge when you started getting to know the characters a bit more? Um, I think we I think we thought it was set, or I thought it was set, and it changed from there pretty dramatically. Actually, I you know the original drafts of the movie, well well gory, were kind of more PG thirteen. Yep. Um, and then as we went along, it just got more of these horror elements added. And then um, you get a little more like lighthearted comedy elements um, also started to pop in. And so this movie that was kind of, um, you know, light on, you know, the <laughs> light on the darkness, I guess. Um, you know, the final script, with, like, not the final script, but like the second to last script was where they added the the burning of the parking lot attendant. Um, oh my God, yeah. And I didn't know Oof. that was coming and the co-writer sent it to me and like the script was pretty <laughs> normal from all, and then boom, it was like this guy gets lit on fire and I was like, I was like blown away that we were actually gonna do that. And then, you know what, I was like, all right. And then at the end, you know, um, boy, yeah, I don't, no, spoiler free, no, 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 but. Um, yes. I- I'm, I've been yeah. trying to go spoiler free too, out of respect, because yeah. no one, because no, so people can actually see the movie. <laughs> no, no one gets lit on fire. I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, no, that that thing in particular, it, it's a level of shocking that, like you said, the movie doesn't necessarily need it to work, but it adds, it really sets the tone for how dangerous this angry mob has become. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I think it did a really good job at doing that, and. Um, you know, until I saw it on film, I wasn't sure if it was going to work. And then on film, I was like, yep, this is exactly what it needed at this moment. Also, I mean, now, I feel like... The, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Chipotle. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> go I, know, I was it. just going to... I think the tone was like... And I think anyone who's ever made like a... a one, a comedy, and then two, like a, like a genre mix, like a horror comedy, is just... It seems to be the conversation you have throughout the entire process. I remember on our last movie, it was like we just couldn't find the tone. Like we knew it was supposed to be funny, but like how much can you push it? And this one was like, you know, how serious do we take ourselves when we do some of these things? And that's just like the conversation we had, I think, every day on set at one point. And then it became like a joke where it's like the tone, the tone, the tone, because it was just we just couldn't figure it out all the time and then when we got into the editing room like i think the tone sort of came through and like we had to like you know change some things that maybe didn't fit the tone or whatever but i think from the very beginning our tone was intended to be close to this and then i think throughout the production process you just 
you it, things just get messy so you just forget where you're going and then um yeah i mean i think we're happy with how it came out but it definitely came out more camp than i think we initially intended and then we finally just like embraced it because it kind of just worked for us yeah no that's no, it makes complete sense. And the thing you never betray is your horror is always serious. And right. and and that's like the, like the thing with the parking attendant and some of the other kills and death. It's like the movie does not shy away from the fact that this wasn't supposed to be like this is supposed to mean bad things for our characters. This is not oh, we're just lightheartedly murdering right. people left and right. Which, which again, you know, is, is something I always atone to the tone that Sam Raimi was always able to keep. The Evil Dead movies get sillier and sillier, but the horror and the gore never gets anything less than, no, that's brutal. Like, you're, you're yeah. supposed to be afraid of that thing, like, even, even if it's having fun. And um, that's a really hard balance, and editing is is the place where you, where you keep it. A- another uh, quick aside, you know... Um, because I, I just love going off the cuff with this stuff, is I want to credit you, and I don't know if it's happened before. Could your film be the first film with the term masshole just emboldened in it? I don't think I've seen a movie that takes place around here that's gone for that yet. The the pickup truck that if it didn't have people on the back of it would have been flying some less than stellar flags, I bet, with the <laughs> masshole thing, was so perfect. I remember, like, cheering i just again maybe this is showing my hand but i really love that entire sequence of the movie (laughs) because that that's the kind of stuff i'd be having the most fun with i'm i'm the i'm the cinematographer figuring out how to get a lot of people on screen pulling off a weird effect or you know kind of guy um and and that that brings me to my next point of you guys really filmed the hell out of this thing for an indie film And, and and i mean that um you didn't pick one specific um, time of day for the movie to be taking place in. You did a lot of interior to exterior to daytime. All of it looked great. And I know filming at night is hard. Yeah, it is. Um, it is an insane <laughs> challenge, actually, to the point where when I think about and I think, you know, we don't we don't think we made a perfect movie in any way but i think if you really understood the like the resources we had available to us it's it it makes me super proud of like the team that we all assembled together and a huge part of that is sean clark who's a professor at emerson and he's also just one of the most talented people i've ever seen work but he was our dp but to add to how hard his job was he would have a rotating crew because a lot of our crew was students who would just come for a day or two. And we obviously had a core team that was like always there, but he would have to teach people on the fly, you know, how to work and how to work super fast. And one of the, the, you know, just like regarding how we shot the film, trying to make a movie at this budget for, you know, this much, uh, like we were trying to do at night and things like that, it was just difficult. But we'd also have, you know, 50 shots in the night we would have to do, which is enormous. You know, it's just not only is it a lot of pages we were getting through every day because we didn't have the money to shoot longer than what we did, but we're also trying to shoot in a style that's, you know, like like a B-list Edgar Wright style, which yeah. is super difficult for no money. And we wanted to try it. And, you know, I think we're happy with how it came out. I think obviously we wish we could go back and like have more time and resources, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. 
Um, and, and again, like I, I feel that there's there's no movie that's perfect in in my opinion, and that's what makes films great is a film that can make something out of what it has and never betray itself. I, I spent a lot of time saying this with the folks from the horror fest this year, and I'll say it to you: you nothing on screen betrays the style you were going for. You don't have like a really complex sequence with effects and all this stuff added to it that then looks either better than everything else in your movie or looks worse than everything else in your movie. You, you had that. And, and, and I, I, I know B list and we all like to be self-deprecating, but Edgar Wright is a perfect stylization choice for how I think this movie came out in the editing, the quick cuts, you know, of people talking and like the, the way that it was able to add emphasis onto you know, things and parts of the conversation that people were having. It was very playful and very fun. And um, it kept it moving. And again, for a movie that's just over an hour long, that still moves at a pace that allows, because there's a lot of, you guys have a lot of story here. This isn't the normal, you know, kind of, yeah, the movie's just over an hour long. And so it was lacking something. It's like, no, like you, you spend time with characters and you spend time at set pieces. And that's, that's a hard balance for sure. Thank you. I, that we really appreciate that. I think like you saying that is touching on something that, um, we've discovered, um, in this kind of community that, uh, you know, we broke into a little bit. Um, and again, like Sean Clark, the cinematographer worked especially hard and the crew worked so hard and without every one of them, you know, any one of them being gone would have, dramatically impacted the yeah. quality of the film. But like this community, the horror community is um, they're, they're very forgiving. If, yeah. if, they yeah. your, if they see your heart in it and like, and, and making this movie has taught me to be very forgiving as well. Like yeah. when you watch a movie now, like when I watch a big budget Transformers movie, I think they're awful because I'm like, you had $300 million and this is what you put out. And yep. then, and then you see a low budget horror flick that had like two hundred G's, and you know they made it on Zoom, and it has a way better story. You're like, yeah, I'm gonna forgive you the tiny flaws because well, yeah. you have a steady cam, you know, like a absolutely. <laughs> I, I was talking to this this the, the gentleman who made the movie Len Lenny, which was made in um, South America, um, I think. I'm I'm gonna be terribly disappointed if i forget exactly where he was but you know well i'm talking to him and we're just having a blast talking about his movie and he lets drop that his movie costs 12 grand and that's and not i go <laughs> and i'm like dude i go he goes he goes i know he goes and we were behind schedule and we had to do this and we had to do that and we only had like 11 filming days and i go i made a zombie movie with my friends for fun that was 15 minutes long and our budget was $8,000. And the reason it was $8,000 is because my friend Jeremy bought us replica airsoft guns. And so I said, <laughs> for, for the characters to look authentic. And so I said, well, there's most of our budget, <laughs> you know, right there. And yeah. he made this like hour and 15 minute long, like, you know, high quality horror movie. Like, you know, uh, for $12,000. And he goes, and again, you know, it's also a lot cheaper to film stuff down here. And I go, I go, I don't care, dude. Like, how? I can't, like, I can't even, like, that's, that's insane to me. 
And again, even and even if your movie costs a million dollars, or if your movie costs twenty million dollars, whatever it is, if you if that doesn't end up on screen, it's noticeable. You know, yeah. I I love I love hearing um you know the, the production. The production of the most recent Halloween films and they talk about you know John Carpenter was there as a producer and he said you know I show up to these sets and it's just it's just like my sets in the 70s people don't have a trailer they have to stay at a local Holiday Inn or sleep on someone's floor he goes and these are you know Academy Award nominated people in some respects he goes but but they love it because that shows up on screen when when you when when you're when you're lifeblood is being put into making sure what ends up on screen be as good as possible no matter how little or how much you have to put into it that's electric you can see that as an audience member and you can feel that yeah totally. I, I, I would have loved to have had a trailer but uh <laughs> i i can tell you um whatever you thought we made this movie for it's way less and yeah, I can imagine i can imagine it's only because of People, people who are you know above and beyond the Call of Duty, willing to spend so much time. People working all night and then going to work the next day and yeah. then coming back the next night for another twelve hours. And you're just like, how these people are? They're so dedicated and they deserve all of the credit, you know. And they appear in like five minutes of screen time, but they were there. And, you know, the PAs, everyone, Jeff, you can talk to even more about this as the director, just so much um, goodwill and just raw talent that is underutilized. Yeah, I would say, like, I think I think people have always told me that, like, no money is better than some money. And I can actually completely agree with that just because. Uh, the difference between like a $10,000 movie and a million dollar movie is substantial in a lot of ways, but it's also as soon as everyone gets paid, to be honest, like the money goes real quick if you're like putting together a proper movie. And um, I think like that's like a thing we're learning, you know, as we like try and make more and more movies, we're just like, oh man, uh, it's almost harder to have some money in some regards because the quality doesn't increase to the point that you would think when you have a little bit of money if uh you know you don't have enough to like really kind of do what you want and i think a lot of companies obviously feel that way as well and that's why you know i think blumhouse no longer does movies under like five million and they just have seen where money goes and you know that's five million without like directors getting paid and however else they they function which you know maybe they change their philosophy but that's what i've heard at least yeah yeah, it amazes you when you look back, you know, and you see a movie like Insidious it was an $8 million movie and you go, you know, that in comparison to everything else that was getting released in theaters, you know, that's 10 times less than there's right. And so, and that blows you away, but then you go like, what could I do with $8 million? And it's like, well, as soon as you move into being a quote unquote real production with guilds and unions and yeah, it goes it goes very quick. And the fact that they can make one of those movies for that. I mean, the, the guy who directed that movie directed Aquaman, right? There's a, <laughs> and, and again, and again, I've heard, I've heard from people that know him. He runs a set the same way, no matter what. And that's a talent that has nothing to do with the money or anything behind it. Um, you know, I, I watched another movie for, for the horror fest. The whole thing was filmed on iPhones. 
you could have fooled me. And, and that's not, that's not to say that I would think an iPhone film would be less quality. It's just, we all have multi-million dollar looking camera shots in our pocket now, but that doesn't mean we know how to use them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the difference. Yeah. I, you know, you could buy me, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of camera equipment. If I am not trained or have experience in the art of framing a shot, it's going to look like garbage no matter what, you know? And, um, so, you know, I can see that, you know, what you guys were able to get on screen just looks incredible. And that's not, there's not a, a, you couldn't have, you know, invested an extra, you know, 10 grand in you guys. And the, what, what you guys had was already talent putting that movie on screen. And I know you're skinny, your teeth, you know, and all of this and, the shot could have been better and you know all the bumps and bruises of everything you put out there. But when I could watch your movie and think, Jesus, I'd pay to see this in a theater and then think of a movie like Transformers and go, I'm not giving him any more of my money. And he just spent $400 million, you know, on that thing. And, and that's, that's, that's a really important thing. And I think, you know, uh, and, and, and again, this is not, you know, I, I'm, I'm an enthusiast about this stuff. So, of course, I, I like finding the good in a movie no matter what. It was, wasn't very hard to do that with yours, you know. But you could say, you know, there's a bad performance or there's a bad this or there's a bad that, you know. And you can, but that to me isn't the joy of watching movies, especially little indie movies like this. This is you guys put art out there. And I'm watching your art and I want to share in the conversation with you. And I want, and I want more people to see it. Like I'd love to see this in in a in a proper theater. I would love to see this movie in a proper. Hell, I'd love to see it at Cinema Salem if that place is ever able to open back up. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, we. we I, I mean, we thank you. I think we both. Oh, sorry, Chris. What'd you say? Well, I was saying I, we had we had the cast and crew premiere at Cinema Salem. That was nice. Oh, that's so cool! I didn't know that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we love that place. Um, yeah, Paul Van Ness I, was like a a close friend of a lot of ours who, yeah. you know, helped run the theater. And, um, yeah, we missed that place a lot. I proposed to my wife there. Oh, really? Oh, well. Yeah, we had a... I, I, I talked to... Uh, Paul Paul knew about it because um, he, he allowed me to do it. But um, his, like, daytime manager there at the time... God, I forget her name. She was amazing. I was like, you know, my, my brother and I, because of the Ithaca Morns movie, we've shown stuff there before. You know, and I was like, hey... It wouldn't be too far fetched for my brother, who's an online film critic and you know personality, to be have sh- have a premiere for one of his things for his fans here. So I had him call my wife because we helped him film it and go, "Hey, I'm going to be showing this at Cinema Salem. Would you mind meeting me the night before and previewing it?" And it's like, "Yeah, of course, Bob. That we'll have a night with my brother. We'll go out. We'll have drinks at the Village Tavern or Gulu Gulu or whatever after." And we were so happy to be doing this. And then he calls the theater, quote unquote, and they say, sorry, Bob couldn't make it, but he wants you guys to watch it. And then my proposal video played instead. Oh, That's nice. Awesome. That's awesome. And That's so, great. and so I, I have a lot of, um, love for that place. I don't know if you guys saw, but Kay did a, uh, um, he was broadcasting live, like a gorilla thing out of there on Halloween. I did. It was so cool. It was so it was cool. cool. I, I love the advertising he, for it. They, they had so much fun with how they uh they put on that show this year so so tongue-in-cheek and so much fun um but yeah and, and you guys are a part of that you know uh, the, the that campy tongue-in-cheek real really what you get with salem on halloween is all over your movie 
Um, so, you know, what else went into the, you know, crafting of this thing? You know, uh, so was it, when, when was it made? When, when was, um, when was filming? How many days was it? How many people were on set on a given time? Like, what did it look like? Paint the picture for me. Yeah, we, we filmed in, Chris, it was last August? No, no, two August. Two years ago. Two yeah. August. The 2018. Yeah, yeah tw 2018. Uh, yeah, so we filmed in August of 2018. We So we started writing it, I think, like seven months prior to that. Um, so Sounds we didn't have right. a lot of time. It was like very short. We came up with the idea, then we were basically filming within seven months. And then we filmed for, I think it was 27 days and nights in Salem. And then we had like three or four pickup days in the, the following year. And we premiered the movie in April at the Independent Film Festival of Boston. And yeah, I mean, so on set we had roughly you know, our biggest days would be like a hundred people and our smallest right, days would right. be like 12. Uh, yeah. Cause you, you had a big cast for those daytime shots. Like that, <laughs> there's a lot of people. <laughs> there is yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I think a lot of them probably didn't understand the amount of commitment it was, but kudos to them because it was just enormous amounts of commitment from them. I mean, they're all working full-time jobs and some of them would be like asleep at video village at like four in the morning because, you know, as movies go, you turn around a shot, you have to relight and stuff, and it sometimes uh, takes like an hour. Uh, so it just, yeah, it was just it was just hard on everyone. I think by the end of it, everyone's pretty proud of what they did, but it, I think everyone's also exhausted and like, wow, that was that really took a toll on me. So <laughs> let's that's uh, fun. Let's not do it again for a while. <laughs> yeah. No more. Yeah, night. I mean, I, I, I really would. I, I need to make it a point to see your your first movie because um i i'm i'm excited excited to see you know what you guys doing something different but you know i i think you guys are awesome and i want to see it but uh i can imagine just from what you've told me about it there wasn't a ton of action shots in it and action is hard and action is hard yeah and that that especially when you have a big cast involved turning stuff around like that is not simple and i don't think people really you know yeah, you can, you know, get your friend to run down the street and, you know, track him with a camera and do something funny. But when you have, you know, people on a bus and a truck having a chase or, you know, just people running through a crowd and, you know, carrying weapons, um, you know, especially when you're an indie thing, you know, getting the types of permits or not getting the permits, but pretending you have them, you know, or, or, or whatever really ends up being is it's a tough thing. And filming in a real working city. That's yeah. That's nothing. I mean, that's a big reason why a lot of the other movies film out of Salem. Is Salem is not like you know. There's not all of this space to like tell people to go while you're filming uh, in front of their store, you know, or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. One of the first shots in the movie um, with the uh, the beer drinkers, which one of them is me. Uh, shout nice. out to me. <laughs> um, so we're in the, uh, you know, we're in the graveyard, you know, the famous graveyard downtown and uh, half, maybe like half of the people that are behind the beer drinkers, like were just people wandering around and like, they're like, are you shooting a movie? And we're like, yeah, you want to be an extra? <laughs> and like, here's a waiver. And then they're in the shot. <laughs> awesome. So like, 
I specifically remember like one or two of those people were just like there that day and just wondering what we were doing and just wanted to be a part of it. That's so cool. And, and that's, that's, I think the fun part of this stuff is, you know, when, when you can make a movie that that's the story behind the shot and you can feel that through the screen. I, and I love, you know, um, when you get big name movies that are made by people that come from that world, you know, like when, when I watched black Panther and it's like, this feels different than the other Marvel movies. Why is that? It's like, well, this guy has been making indie movies up until yeah. this year. You know what I mean? Like he's not—he's not used to going. Well, this actor's filmed on this green screen here, and this guy is over here, and you need to make this make sense. He's used to this is how you compose a shot, and I need to do it all at once. And so that comes through, you know, um, with, with the James Guns of the world, you know, with people like that, where it's like you, your film feels like you know how to make a movie that you're having fun behind the camera too. Yeah. And and I and I think if that comes through to an audience, and again, does your regular every go everyday transformer viewing audience care about that? No, but I care about that. I, I you know, when I look at a painting, I like to think about how'd you do that? You, you know what I mean? Like how, like and, and I'm an engineer, so I look at buildings and try to think, okay, what's what's under that brick? I want to see it. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's that's just how I am, but I like that I, I can look at film that way. And, um, oh, and, awesome. and I'm, and I'm psyched that so many people that make film are interested in talking about that side of it. I, I haven't yet got somebody that goes, huh? Well, no, I just pointed the camera at it and thought that'd be funny. You know, which I fear sometimes would be what would happen if you got Michael Bay down in a conversation. <laughs> I get bright, shiny. I point camera. We laugh. Oh, okay. I'm going over here now. Although, <laughs> although, truth be told, I've heard he is actually a good uh, for for union people and stuff. He's a good guy to work with because he keeps, you know, runs a tight ship and everything. But his movies suck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's definitely he's created a style that people. Uh, you know, he has. He he's has. Throw, the getting out of a car shot. Yeah, I mean, like the circling around people and all oh that yeah, stuff. that stuff's incredible. Oh yeah, he just needs he needs a writer and an editor. I think is yeah, what it really he, comes down to. <laughs> he just exactly. money. He has to get creative again. Yeah, because Pain, Pain and Gain is a perfectly fine movie. I actually really enjoyed that. So it's it's weird, right? Um, yeah, but, it is weird. But, but, so so you know, and I don't want to keep you guys forever. But I, you know, when the script is coming together, when the story is coming together, is there? Did you find influences that you already had showing up in how you did the movie, or or was that you know just um, you know? A coincidence you know like what, what were the types of what was the type of horror movie you were going for you know with with what you put on screen yeah i okay. mean yeah Chris, no, oh, you, you, go. Go, you go first homie. the biggest the biggest influence by far was um edgar wright and you know yeah. shot of the dead yeah. um that's we we knew we knew we wanted to make a comedy because we really like comedies we knew it wanted to be about Salem, and then we knew we wanted a second mass hysteria. You know, those are like the three ingredients, and you know, from there the horror comes along because we're like, well, this is this is horrible, but it's also kind of funny. Um, so, and that's like Shaun of the Dead has you know one of the best 
you know, for me, it's like, you know, it's this really silly movie where like there's silly shots and there's funny lines. And then you get hit with that scene where his mom turns and Simon. Oh my God. (laughs) In a movie that's so astoundingly silly, you are heartbroken. And, um, you know, that, that was, we were always watching, we were watching uh, little clips of Edgar Wright talking about their writing process and stuff like that. Um, so Shaun of the Dead was a huge influence. Um, and you can see that in the filming style that yep. uh, Mario and Sean uh, made happen, um, especially in the editing room. So that would probably be the biggest horror film influence for, for our movie. Another another thing that always struck me with Shaun of the Dead is you get that scene with the mum first, and that's the reminder to you that no, 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 no. This is a horror movie with funny people in it. This is not this is not um a three stooges film. You know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> there's there's real like they and, and I love that the approach to that movie was we're just gonna stick it in the Romero verse. We're not gonna try to make up our own thing. We're just gonna go, hey, what if what if we were following around this goofy guy? and his problems in the middle of basically that same outbreak. And mm-hmm. uh, I I love that thing with the mum because it brings you way down. And then for fans of, um, you know, George Romero style, super over the top gags, as he called them, when they're in the uh, Winchester and that guy gets taken out the built window and just basically disemboweled all over the place. And, I <laughs> yeah. went, and I'm yeah. like, because the movie has some gore up to that point. It doesn't shy away from it. But that was like the movie goes, by the way, yeah. <laughs> in case you're it's forgetting what type gory. of movie this is. <laughs> like, we, we, you know, that, that's, you do two or three more of those and you get an NC-17, like slap, like right on there, right? Like it's, because that was Romero's problem with Land of the Dead. He actually used blue screening to put zombies in in front of his gags. So he could get an R rating, and then for the unrated, he just took the blue screened out zombies walking around out, so you saw more of the gore. <laughs> it's oh, like that's, that's a really clever way to do that. Yeah, um, yeah that is. But yeah, um, so uh, that that's a huge one. I always I always like to tell people too that forget, you know, they go, yeah, it's it's so funny that Edgar Wright went from making you know a horror comedy to making an action movie, and I go, did you watch Hot Fuzz? Hot Fuzz is a slasher movie. Yeah, it's also it's also loves eighties you know action movies too. But that's a slasher movie that's staged and filmed, and um, and uh, the gore is is done like like a slasher movie. And I yeah. I love that about it that he's able to jump and meld genres so effortlessly. Yeah, it's seems. like next level. I don't know anyone who does it as well as him. It's truly no, it, it's true. <laughs> it, it's yeah. true. And, and again, I mean, hearing you guys compare yourselves to that, I mean, it, it's, it's... Oh, we're not, we're not. <laughs> no, yeah, not comparing. No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Comparing your influence, like, that's what you're going for. That that rings through very true in what you were going for. And that, you know, you're not, you know, making the next baby driver here, you know, with like... like but but it, the influence is there. And that's what I love about film is you can watch a Shaun of the Dead and watch your movie and go, these things belong. Like, it's inclusive. Yeah. Like, just because he, you know, is an expert at doing that doesn't mean that it negates the existence of your film that is just aspiring to that. You know? Yeah, I think... that, uh, that It's very important. Well, I mean, one of the... I think the best compliments we got was when we premiered at uh, IFF Boston. Someone was like, you know, this reminds me of 
uh, an Edgar Wright movie. And I think for us, that is like, we're not trying to steal from him. You know, he stole certain styles from Sam Raimi and certain styles from even Michael Bay and Hot Fuzz. Yes, he did. And uh, for us, we were just like, I think we love commercial movies, but we don't have the resources to make commercial movies. And so we were like, how do you take a commercial desire to make like a comedy of with style, camera style versus just like guys talking in a room with the camera moving, which is nothing wrong with it, but it's just what you usually see at a festival. Yep. And we were like, you know, we just wanted to try with little resources. And I think that was uh, the biggest affirmation for us just because, you know, like we didn't, we're not professional visual effects. Like every transition was like thought out and shot in camera. Like nothing was oh, like oh. post added or anything. So like every oh, time no someone shit. walks in front of the frame, those are things we decided before we even got on set. And uh, everything was like meticulously planned out to like the point where we like drew out every single shot walked in and like photographed every single shot and i think you have to do that if you're gonna try and make a movie with style with no money it's just too difficult to like show up and be like what are we gonna do wow and if you only have and, 27 days to do it yeah <laughs> well and, and you know i that that resourcefulness is i think something that's lost a lot now i think when someone tries to recreate resourcefulness but giving all of the resources it it, it doesn't always not work but you know, like that, that like decision to do as many practical effects as possible in the Star Wars, the force awakens benefits the feel of that movie, because it feels yeah. like people trying and stuff is actually there. It's they, they have a, you know, unlimited budget, but they're intentionally limiting themselves. And that's very important. Um, if you have never seen it as, as, as independent filmmakers, one of the most inspiring things I've seen was the behind the scenes of the movie Tintin that Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson did together? Because did you have either of you guys seen it? I saw uh, it. I have part yeah, of it on a plane. On that as well. Joe <laughs> okay, yeah. So the behind the scenes of that, where they, you know, they've basically built the largest warehouse motion capture rig in existence at the time. And they, they've got these LED screens up all along the top. So the actors can see a previs version of what it looks like in the scene they're acting and they're interacting, you know, with like just wireframe stuff to do all these scenes. And they bring in a director like Steven Spielberg, who, again, definitely has had his run ins with, you know, great visual effects. But he's a visual director. He, like you, any behind the scenes I've watched with him, he goes, I got to come in with a camera and I got to walk through the shot and see what it's going to look like. I can't just trust that my cinematographer is going to understand what I'm looking for. So I walk through with him. So what they did was they bring their guy in and they go, can you make a little rig for Steven? I'm like, yeah. So what they made for him was a camera that he could walk through and show, would show him previs what the scene was going to look like. And they GPS tracked him through the shot. And they'd tell the people that were working director of photography, because again, in a digital world, you can put the camera anywhere that you want. They said, Make sure you follow what Steven did. That's so cool. And wow. so he and so he was able to directly influence the cinematographer, but the cinematographer was a camera that could have gone anywhere. And I find that that is the best motion capture movie I've ever seen because they used a physical existing visual person 
to direct where the camera was going to go. Again, sometimes they needed it to go places and he'd go, no, 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 I make, I need, make it wider, pull it back more. But it still moved the track and moved at the angle that he saw in his head when he looked at the scene. And that's, that's what you do. You become resourceful. You don't just go, oh, you know, well, I spent $20 million on the editing and so you don't even have to be involved. The editing's just going to happen. You know, it's like, no, 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 I want to, I like, I want to, cause you might learn what your movie's tone actually was in the editing process, you know? Right. And, and I think, um, I think that's something you can only learn by having limitations, whether they're real or not. Yeah. No, it's true. So, um, so go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, uh, just affirming and agreeing, I think, you know, not having a budget for post has made me have to edit, you know, for the most part, like we, we hired a friend of ours, Dave, to do the majority of edit, but I had to, you know, be the co-editor the whole time and same with the last movie. And I appreciate that as much as I didn't want to do it because it helps you become a better, you know, director to like know if a shot's going to cut together and all those things. So I do think limitations are helpful as much as I would love to not have them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, someday, someday I hope you get the $200 million budget where you can worry about 10 other people worrying about that for you. Yes. That would be wonderful. Just 50, God, just, just one at that God, point, right? One. Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I put things out the door. I, I'm an engineer and we, we sell things and it's like, wow, I go, I would love to be able to just like bid 2 million for this instead of a million and get like, and I, I, this working, this job has made me understand what that money really means. Like watching myself try to produce something and make money on a budget like that. And the fact that you can go and you can make films like, <laughs> like films have so many more working parts. Um, mm. I was going to say b b before I wrap up, cause, um, cause I would like to get us all back to our day, even though I, would gladly talk to you guys for hours. Who made your poster? That incredible hand-drawn or, or digitally drawn, whatever it is, of the, the torch mob chasing um, our main character. I love that thing. I do too. Um, I have to throw so much credit his way. Uh, his name's Thomas uh, Putman, and he worked at a coffee shop with me in New York called Sumptown Coffee Roasters at the Ace Hotel. Uh, I know that place. Yeah, I think he still works there, actually. But he's just, like, beyond talented. And he just, like, we gave him, like, such little direction. And, like, we obviously went through rounds of notes with him. But, uh, yeah, we loved it at first. And I think, like, you know, we didn't really get to use the poster as much as we thought we were going to. But I I do. I actually love it. It's it's one of my favorite things. It reminds me of, like, an old Nancy Drew type yes. thing, which is cool. No, it's super cool. So then, again, I'm first going to thank you guys. And I feel bad that Matt had to, to leave early, but both both of you and Matt for just giving any time of your day to me. Um, I, I hope you guys had fun. And I wanted to give you guys a sounding board to tell people what else is going on with Mass Hysteria, where they can see it now or soon, because this will be out soon for them to hear. Um, and just what else you guys have going on and a shout out, any anything you want to say, go for it. Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, well, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, it really it means a lot to us. And yeah, Mass Hysteria is uh, available on all VOD platforms right now. iTunes, Amazon, uh, Google Play, 
Vimeo, Xbox. all those places. Xbox. Is that YouTube. to own or rent? That is either. Either way. Good, good, good. Okay. Because um, I need I need to go buy my copy. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, and then hopefully in a few months it'll be on a few streaming platforms. You know, if, if Shutter, if you listen, we would love to be on your platform. We've been shouting you out for for years and months now, so you know, <laughs> that would be great. And then, uh, yeah, Chris and I have worked on a few new projects and just always, you know, looking to get the next thing moving. That's my perspective. Chris, your turn. You finish. Yeah. Well, the. Chippa, thank you so much for having us. Uh, we love talking film, too, because we do it all the time. And um, we are definitely going to work on more stuff together. Um, we love making movies, and I don't think that'll ever, that love will ever die. So uh, keep an eye out for what we... Um, and uh, Ariel couldn't be here, but, you know, I, as much of a passionate filmmaker as anyone out there, um, she, there's no way she will not... Uh, make another movie with us as well. So uh, awesome. more stuff and uh, keep an eye out. Um, we, our first movie, oh, vastly different, vastly different. <laughs> um, we, we love it. Um, it's very much a, you, it's a, such a heartfelt indie flick and it was such a joy to make. And we, after you finished it, we're like, you know what, we could do another one. And now we have mass hysteria and, you know, we're getting better every time. So um, hopefully that will be, we have to do some re-editing. So that would probably be the next thing that would appear yep. from us. Um, but uh, yeah, keep an eye out for youth men. But also watch awesome. Mass Hysteria. <laughs> yes, please watch Mass Hysteria. And, I, and, and, and yeah, you know, um, especially if you're not from Salem or not from this area and want an authentic representation of it in a horror film. Um, well, guys, th th this has been an absolute blast. Um, and hey, you know, if, if you're making a movie in Massachusetts again, be sure to reach out to me. I would love to be involved in one way or another, whether it's just bringing a, bringing a coffee and smiling and waving or, <laughs> or, or whatever. I, um, I find this stuff exciting and getting to know and see the places where it's made um, is even more exciting to me. So definitely will. Yeah, thank you so much. I th thank you all. Thank you guys. Thanks to the you know entire cast and crew. Um, you know, and it would have been awesome to talk to Ariel as well. But I'm I'm just so happy that any of you guys were able to show up. So this has been Chris Chipman, aka the Chippa, and Chris O'Connell and Jeff Ryan and Matt. Is it Perus? Yes. Yep. Matt Perus. Um, the cast and crew, or a portion of the cast and crew of Mass Hysteria, which you heard me review earlier this year. It's available, like they said anywhere basically you can find video on demand stuff just don't even bother renting it buy it please um you little films even if you watch it once it's worth it show it to your friends and family it's a blast um so thank you guys all for shooting the shit with chippa and thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you again soon <laughs>